You're listening to Radio Looks List. I'm your host, Steve Matthews. Thanks for joining me for episode 80. Today's episode is Canadian COVID tyrants, crazy consumer prices, and criminal NGOs. Yes, I was able to get an alliteration out of that. See, see what I did there? Yeah. Anyway, hey, welcome to the program. It's great to have you here today. Uh, those of you listening to the podcast as well as on the live stream, it's great to be here on a Saturday. And I'm actually getting started a little bit earlier than I normally do. It's only about 9.30, so I'm going to get to bed a decent time tonight. Now, there we go. There's there's something new. See, I'm turning over a new leaf here. Well, anyway, uh, let's see. What's going on here today? I don't know. There wasn't a whole lot exciting going on. I did take a walk today at the park, and, you know, it's just kind of your typical Cincinnati midwinter day. Here it is, February. It's what, February the 12th? It's gray. It's cold. Um, you know, there's nothing really particularly pretty about any of it you know you, you go down to the park and and there were a few other brave souls down there taking walks it was about 30 degrees out or so so it wasn't super cold but it was cold enough and uh, of course you know it's interesting the lake uh or the park where i go to walk there's a lake there's a walking trail that goes around this lake and it's uh it's been frozen solid pretty much for the last well the better part of the last month here at this point and I, I suppose it's probably going to continue here for a while. I think we do get up to 61 degrees or something like that next week. But I don't know. I'd ha- I haven't really checked the weather forecast that closely. But, you know, it's it's kind of funny. It's it's uh, it's not really a pretty time of year in any sense, weather-wise or anything. But I don't know. It's kind of almost oddly comforting in some ways. I don't know. I guess maybe it's because I've grown up with it. You get these long, cold days and cold, gray days. And they're just, I don't know, they're good days for putting a fire in a fireplace and reading a book or something like that. I, I don't know. I, I actually really don't mind that weather uh, all that much. Although I do have to admit, I'll be looking forward to it when it warms up a little bit so I can get back to actually uh, riding my uh, riding my bike again. I haven't been able to do too much of that. I, I got a couple of rare occasions. I got one right after Christmas where it got up to 70 degrees a couple of days after Christmas and I went out. And then I went out at the end of of January, maybe a couple weeks ago or so. We had a pretty nice day. It got up to about 60. Really nice day to go ride. But, you know, those those are kind of rare. You don't get those real often. And we don't really start getting into decent weather consistently, at least until you get into March. At least decent enough to be able to ride a bike anyway. I know. I, I mean, you can ride it when it's cold out, but I'm not a big, huge fan of riding in super cold weather. But as long as it, if it gets up into the 40s, it's not too bad. So anyway, hopefully I'll have a chance to to do something again here maybe in the next few weeks. We'll see. Anyway, so let's see. What are we going to talk about? You know, I kind of had a lot of stuff today. In fact, it seems like I get every week I end up with more and more stuff, and I don't know how I'm going to get it all fit into about an hour or, or so. But uh, we'll give it a shot here, and I guess if we have too much, well, you can always cut some, you know. It's kind of funny how that works. I remember when I was a kid and I had to to write uh, term paper, and, and, and they'd say, oh, you got to write a three-page or a five-page term paper. And I mean, and that just seemed like somebody was asking me to write an encyclopedia. And I didn't know, I mean, how am I going to come up with that much material? I don't know how that's going to happen. And, you know, it, I struggled to fill up the uh, the pages of a uh, of a written assignment. I just I hated writing assignments. Just just hated those things. And it's kind of interesting now that that I'm older. Of course, what am I doing? I'm doing a lot of writing and doing a lot of preparation of things like writing out a script for a, for a podcast or or writing a blog post, something like that. So I'm doing all this stuff now, and now I'm finding myself I just have too much stuff, and it's just like cut, 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 cut. So anyway, I guess it's probably better to have too much stuff than to be up at two in the morning trying to write a, a term paper when you don't have enough stuff and you haven't really done any research on it. 
Uh, yeah. Uh, anyway, I wasn't a very good student when I was in school. <laughs> so anyway, I, I guess I've learned. I guess I've reformed my ways uh, over the years, and uh, I've gotten better at that. So anyway, so what do we have here? Well, I wanted to kick off today talking a little bit about our favorite topic of in the, in the whole world right now. We've all been riveted to our seats about that for the last couple months. Of course, I'm talking about COVID. Can't get away from this thing. It just keeps, it's the gift that keeps on giving, as they say. So let's see, what do we have here? Oh, here's the first story we've got. In fact, I'm going to go ahead and let me get my, okay, yeah, here we go. Here's our our story with with CBS News from CBS News. The headline is Canadian officials threat Canadian official threatens severe consequences for truckers protesting COVID mandates along border. And this is from yesterday. It's from Friday, February the 11th, and it starts off here. Ontario Premier Doug Ford said the government will take urgent action against the truckers protesting COVID nineteen protocols along the U.S. Canadian border. The weeks long demonstrations have blocked a busy bridge between the two countries, sparking concern from international leaders about economic impacts and a potential for similar protests emerging elsewhere. Let me be as clear as I can. There will be consequences for these actions, Ford said Friday at a press briefing, and they will be severe. Now, you know, I, I, I don't know. I think Doug Ford, I think he used to be mayor of Toronto at one time. And I think, he, I don't know, he got caught up in some scandals and that kind of thing. And I, I don't know, maybe he's straightened himself out a little bit. And and I don't know particularly what his stance has been on the whole COVID lockdown, mask up, vax mandate thing. So I, I don't know for sure. But I think it's interesting here that you have all of these international economic leaders are concerned about the economic impacts of people who have been pushed to the very brink by the policies of these same international leaders over the last two years, that all of a sudden now these international leaders are concerned about economic impacts. Well, you know, why weren't they concerned about economic impacts a year ago or two years ago when they were locking everybody in their houses and sticking masks on their face and now forcing vaccines down their throat? In in Quebec, I understand, I'd have to double check this, but I'm pretty sure I read some some stories last week where if if you live in Quebec you, and you're unvaccinated, you cannot go to a store except to buy necessary things, you know, whatever the government deems necessary. And if you go into, say, like a, a grocery store, for example, apparently the store puts an employee, uh, makes an employee go with you to make sure that you only purchase necessary things and you don't get something that's unnecessary because that would just be a disaster. So these are these same government officials, these same kinds of people who have foisted these vile policies on, on, on the people, whether it's here in the United States, whether it's in Canada, whether it's in Europe, whether it's in Australia, New Zealand. You know, you pick a country. I mean, it's, it's been COVID tyranny now for two years. And none of these international leaders, unnamed international leaders, were ever concerned about the economic impacts of what they were doing. But now that the peasants are getting a little bit uh, getting a little bit restless, now all of a sudden, well, we're we're deeply concerned about the economic impacts of this this demonstration. When when they haven't been the slightest bit concerned about the trillions upon trillions of dollars in costs that they have imposed upon their countries, with these ridiculous, unscientific, unchristian, immoral COVID policies. Yeah, you know, yeah. Let's shut down the economy and print trillions of dollars like the U.S. did back in March of 2020. Yeah, that's a great idea. 
you know, and of course now we've got this massive amount of, we've got massively rising prices, you know, what they, they call inflation inaccurate. It's, it's not inflation. It's the result of inflation. And I'll talk about that a little bit later, but just this tremendous damage. How many people's jobs have been destroyed? How many people's businesses have been destroyed because of policies of these international leaders? You know, it hasn't been because of COVID. I mean, this is one of the other the things that just annoys the living daylights out of me is you have people there, they say, well, you know, due to uh, COVID, you know, we're having supply chain problems or due to COVID, you know, we've had this problem or that problem. No, COVID had nothing to do with any of that. It was government overreaction to COVID that caused all those problems. It wasn't COVID. You know, they, they try to put all of this stuff on a virus that they can't talk back. No, it was the politicians. The bureaucrats, these technocrats in in Europe and in, in North America, in, in Australia, New Zealand, again, you know, the, many of these other countries, I know, I think South Korea is really bad. I'm not so sure about Japan. I mean, Japan's at least been a little bit sane on the whole vaccine thing. I think they've been better on that regard. But, you know, and of course, China, the Chinese government's been very authoritarian uh, with, uh, with the, uh, the Chinese people as well. It's terrible. It's absolutely terrible. These governments have been appalling. But yet now all of a sudden, you know, when when some truckers say, you know, we want our lives back, we want your boot off of our neck, now all of a sudden, well, well, this, this is an outrage. You know, the city's under siege. That's another thing that this uh, Doug Ford said. He was talking about, I think he was talking about Ottawa. He says it's under siege. Well, you know, again, what about the people of Canada have been under siege for two years with this stuff? And uh, none of them, I don't think Doug Ford, uh, I don't know, I, I, I you know, don't follow him super closely. Maybe he spoke out against it. I don't know. But I kind of think he probably didn't. And I'm, I'm, I'm sure that Justin Trudeau never did. I mean, Justin Trudeau has been one of the worst people in, in the whole world, one of the worst leaders in the whole world when it comes to these, these COVID lockdowns. He's been absolutely terrible in this. You know, and he got all huffy too uh, about these, these lockdowns. I mean, you know, when the truckers first came into uh, to Ottawa a week or so back, I mean, he was he called them every nasty name in the book, every you know every terrible you know app thing that he could could uh, could lay on them. He did. I'm not even gonna, you know it was just you know all this stuff. You know they're they're they they have unacceptable uh, opinions. They're they're racist. They're white supremacist. They're misogynist. They're you know anti you know they're homophobic they're you know he just pulled out this just laundry list of all of these you know uh globalist swear words you know they try to to label people with and these are just regular people who want their lives back you know who want justin trudeau's boot off their neck that's all they want they want their liberties back they want their lives back and these politicians cannot understand that. And I'm talking here about Justin Trudeau, but I mean, you can say the same thing about people, about the, the politicians in this country, here in the United States. You know, the, you know, you got the, the Biden regime up there. I mean, if it were up to them, we would, we, you know, they would, I think, gladly send out, you know, their, uh, you know, <laughs> the troops and, and hold you on the ground and jab a needle in your arm. I think they'd be more than happy to do that. And there are a lot of governors and, and senators and legislate, legislators and, and people and bureaucrats and this kind of thing that would love to do those kinds of things. And now they're kind of having to back off a little bit because apparently their poll results were so awful and they're scared to death that they're all the Democrats. And it's the Democrats principally 
that are doing this stuff. And the Democrats are scared to death that they're going to lose, uh, they get voted out of office. Well, good. I'm glad they're scared to death. And I hope they get voted out. I mean, I'm glad that they're, they're dialing back on some of the tyranny, but you know, these people need to lose their jobs. They did this stuff. Let's go back here and take a look. Is there anything else? Because there's something here. Oh, some comment that uh, Justin Trudeau made. Let's see here. Oh, yes. Yeah, the border cannot and will not remain closed. Every option is on the table. So if you're participating in these illegal blockades that are taking our neighborhoods and our economy hostage, it's time to go home, especially if you have kids with you. All right, so again, where's, where's Justin Trudeau's concern been? You know, is his policies have taken neighborhoods and the economy hostage. I mean, there were all these terrible videos that I've seen over the past couple of years of, of Canadian Christians having their churches raided, padlocked, kicked out. I mean, there were churches that had to meet in secret. I think there was one, I think it was up near Calgary or in and around Calgary, where they basically commandeered their building. They put up a, a giant chain link fence around it so nobody could access, and the congregation ended up having to meet in, uh, in secret someplace. There was one uh, video I, I saw where they there was a congregation and they were in church on a Sunday and they were singing and you know there were about I don't know fifty cops or so pulled up in these vehicles and they all marched in and they marched them all out of the church and this type of thing you know and, and Justin Trudeau has the nerve to to get upset with truckers because they say hey we want your boot off of our neck you know, I've said this many times. You know, on this podcast, and I think again, it it bears mentioning about what Jesus said about the 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 leaders of the Gentiles, the rulers of the Gentiles. You know, they love to lord it over them. And I mean, you're really seeing this. I mean, we we in the West, and we've been greatly blessed by having the the Bible as the uh, the basis for our civilization. But as that's faded, I mean, what we're seeing more and more is we're seeing this arbitrary, tyrannical government. And you see this in, in countries all over the world. It's not just Canada. You know, I say it's in the United States. You can find it in, in, in Europe, you know, Great Britain, France, Germany, Austria, Italy, you know, and, and I'm sure many other countries as well. You know, those are just uh, some names that I've, I can think of off the top of my head that have had very severe and continue to have very severe COVID restrictions by the government. And one of the things I was thinking about here too, of course, with the the truckers, and you know, of course, they're they're uh, parked up there in Ottawa, and, and the truckers are basically saying, you know, we're not going to go away until you lift these COVID restrictions, until you really lift these vax mandates. And you know, it may be worth asking, you know, is this type of thing, is that kind of civil disobedience, is a Christian? You know, can you justify that by the Bible? And I believe the answer is yes. I, I think you can. In fact, I was even thinking about an example that came to mind that I think is uh, applicable here. And that had to do with the case of, of Saul and Jonathan. You may recall, and this is recorded in Samuel, 1 Samuel 14, but, you know, Paul, uh, Saul made this rash oath and he said, well, you know, uh, no one's going to eat, eat or drink until I've, I've uh, taken vengeance on my enemies. He was talking about the Philistines. But I guess Jonathan, King Saul's son, didn't hear that, and he tasted some honey, and... Uh, after the battle was done and you know Israel had this great victory over the Philistines that uh, there was, uh, I guess, uh, they, they drew lots and they, they determined, the, the, there was this word, I guess, that someone had, had 
uh, eaten eaten honey, but it wasn't known who it was. And they went through a process of drawing lots and the lot fell to, to Jonathan and, and Jonathan fessed up and he said, yeah, I, I ate a little bit. Um, because, uh, you know, I, I didn't know uh, about your, uh, your declaration. And Saul was very angry with Jonathan. He says, you know, that, that you're going to die, Jonathan. So you're sh- surely, uh, for surely you shall die. That's what that's what Saul said to him. Uh, but the people said to Saul, Shall Jonathan die, who has accomplished this great deliverance in Israel? Certainly not. As the Lord lives, not one hair of his head shall fall to the ground, for he has worked with God to the, this day. So the people rescued Jonathan, and he did not die. So that's from 1 Samuel 14, 44 and 45. So you can see here where the, the people intervened to stop Saul from murdering his son. And I would say that that was an act of civil disobedience. And it, the the way it's it the, the scripture doesn't explicitly comment comment on it, but I, I think the the general context of it is you get the idea that uh, the people did the right thing, and they stood up to Saul and said, "You're not doing this. This is a terrible idea. Don't do it, and we're not going to let you do it." And I think this is a case where you've got the people of Canada telling Justin Trudeau. Stop doing this. This is a terrible idea. Knock it off. That's all they want. All they want is for Justin Trudeau to stop destroying their lives. And they'd be happy to go away. And he needs to listen to them. He needs to pay them heed. But my concern is that he's going to be stubborn and he won't do it. You know, he's going to be like Pharaoh and he's going to say, you know, I will by no means let you go. And we'll see. We'll see how the Lord deals with him. Uh, you know, I, I hope that this ends without, um, well, I don't know. I mean, things could get interesting up there. We'll just have to pray about that, and we'll have to pray that uh, that something good comes out of this, and I think it can. So let's see, what else do we have here with COVID? Oh, um, yeah, I wanted to mention, uh, there's a guy, and I, I've talked about him before, but I... I wanted to mention him by name again. This fellow named Steve Kirsch, who I believe is a, um, I believe he was by trade. I don't know if he's retired or not, but he's he's an entrepreneur. I think he's a tech guy of some sort. But he has taken it, uh, taken up the the challenge of being a citizen journalist, and he's doing a very good job of it. I've I've really been impressed with uh, with the work that he's done, and. I, uh, I've been following his Substack account, and he's got a he does uh, videos. I know he's got an account on Rumble. Maybe he's got some somewhere else, but he's got an account on Rumble. But anyway, I just wanted to share with you a couple of posts that he's put out here the past couple of days. If you're not following him, if you're interested in, in getting some, I think, pretty good analysis on on COVID and, and pretty interesting stuff too. Not only is it is it interest is it is it I think on target. But I think he's a very interesting writer, too. I've really enjoyed reading his stuff. It's very approachable. And here was a, a, a post from a day or two back, anyway. And it says, uh, News Today, Embalmers, Debate in Canada, FDA meeting on hold, cell paper, mask study, disputed, Igor's discovery, news from Peter McCullough, post-vax photos, and much more. <laughs> Whoa. That was a lot. Well, anyway, I'm not going to read through all of it, but I'll I'll put a link in the uh, in the show description for this one. But this is uh, one of the stories because he's got a bunch of stories in this just particular uh, this one post. But uh, he's talking about an embalmer news. He says this is big, really big. I'm going to read to you from that uh, from that particular post. 
That's a few paragraphs. It's not too long. Quote, I said earlier that Richard Hirschman isn't the only one seeing issues. Now, Richard Hirschman, just to let you know, that was a uh, an embalmer that he interviewed, uh, I think, sometime within the past week. And the, the video is actually out there on his Rumble channel. Rumble channel. And you can find it out there. Uh, his Rumble channel, by the way, if, if you ever go to Rumble, it's S, like his first initial, Steve. So it's S-T. Kirsch, K-I-R-S-C-H, S-T-K-I-R-S-C-H. And if you go out there and you 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 can subscribe to his video feed out there. And again, I, th- I think these are some pretty interesting and compelling uh, videos. And uh, for somebody, as far as I'm aware, he's not somebody who's got a, a journalism background, but I think he does a very good job asking questions and reasoning through the uh, the answers and also reasoning through you know the art- various articles and things that he he comes across. He, he's a very smart fellow. And I think he does a really good job reporting on this issue. So anyway, back to the post that he talks about on Embalmer News. He said earlier that embalmer Richard Hirschman isn't the only one seeing issues. Embalmers all over the country are seeing the same thing, but they aren't allowed to talk because the business owners are afraid of having to defend against frivolous lawsuits. One embalmer, who is also a coroner, said he's seen lots of cases of young pregnant women who are 20 to 24 weeks pregnant with fetal demise. The women aren't talking about it, and neither are the doctors who won't speak out for fear of license or job loss. The most important thing I learned is that other embalmers have been noticing these never-seen-before clots since January 2021, and it's happening in 40 to 50% of the cases. That makes sense since one America seen a 40% jump in mortality. The pieces are starting to fall together. Okay, so what, what he's talking about, he did this interview with Richard Hirschman, an embalmer, and this embalmer said... You know, I'm seeing all of these weird blood clots. When he goes to embalm a body, the veins are filled with this really clotty type of material. And it's not a normal blood clot. It's some kind of a fibrous uh, thing. I guess a normal blood clot, if you put it in forceps, you try to hold hold to it, it would fall apart. Well, these clots, they don't disintegrate. It's it's almost kind of like a rubbery sort of a thing. And they, they have a hard time. They have to actually pull these out of the veins of people so they can actually do the embalming process. And it's, it's really horrifying. I mean, these things will run like the rank, length of their leg in this type of thing. And this particular, this Richard Hirschman, he reported seeing, I think, maybe around 50 to 60% of his, his cases are showing up with this. And that he had never seen this before until the summer of 2021, just after the, the vaccines had started. When he writes here, he says... The most important thing that I learned, this is this is uh, Steve Kirsch talking, he says, the most important thing I learned is that other embalmers have noticed these same never-seen-before clots since January 2021, and it's happening in 40 to 50% of the cases. So this is really common, and apparently it's only happening in people who have been vaccinated. You know, there's another there's another clue there. It's not happening in people who haven't been, but this is something that's happening in people who have been vaccinated. Now, I think Richard Hirschman said he knew of one one person he had who hadn't been vaccinated, but he said that person received a blood transfusion recently. So I don't know, maybe he was uh, received a transfusion of somebody who had been vaccinated. You know, and this is something to think about. Um, you know, again, I, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not trying to say that I know, you know, if you got a blood transfusion from somebody who'd been vaccinated, it's going to cause problems. I don't know that. But it's an issue that I think it needs to at least be considered. I mean, if vaccines are causing serious problems of blood clotting and you have a blood transfusion from somebody who's been vaccinated, is it possible 
that that could also cause problems in the person who received the transfusion. It seems to me that's a possibility. But as far as I know, I've never seen anybody in the mainstream uh, press talk about that. I think that's kind of interesting. And you know, so he talks, so again, um, Steve Kirsch talks about, you know, that this embalmer is seeing these really weird, really serious blood clots, 40 to 50% of his, his cases. And he said that makes sense since one America seen a 40% jump in mortality. So you may remember a few weeks ago, you know, I think maybe it was a week or two back. I don't know. I'm offhand, but we talked about how that the, uh, this, this insurance company, One America, it's a big insurance company that's located in Indianapolis. I know it's a real legitimate company because I've actually interviewed with them a couple of times uh, for a job. But the CEO came out at the 1st of January, or the first few days of January, early January. It's a little bit over a month ago, maybe about five or six weeks ago. And he came out and he said that they were seeing this huge increase, 40% increase in mortality. And this is a company that has life insurance. They pay out life insurance. So they track this stuff. They know about this stuff. And, of course, it's costing them a lot of money. And he said everybody in the industry is seeing this. And I saw something recently. I think it was a week or two back, maybe in a, a podcast. I reported on a, another company. It was a Dutch company called Aegon, A-E-G-O-N. And I know about Aegon because I used to work for them. I actually used to work for that company or their American subsidiary, uh, Transamerica. And Aegon's reporting the same kind of a thing, this huge spike in mortality in, in, uh, in 2021 over previous years. So, I mean, if, if, if this is the case, I mean, we're, we're seeing you know, these, these embalmers are seeing these uh, very weird, very serious cases of blood clotting in people they've never seen before. And then these insurance companies are seeing the spike in mortality. I mean, is there a connection there? Um, kind of seems like there probably is. And, and Steve Kirsch is smart enough that he'll say, well, we don't know that it's the vaccine yet. I mean, we, we haven't proven that out. I mean, there could be something else that's causing it. But when you look at these things, you, you look at it and you think, you know, it seems like the most likely uh, culprit is the vaccine. So let's go back here to... Steve Kirsch here and continue reading. He says this, but I talked to one embalmer who prim primarily does old people who are all vaccinated and 80% of her cases exhibit these telltale clots. And she's only seen them in vaccinated cases. Video will be uploaded to Rumble uh, later today. Okay, so this is another embalmer that he talked to. And I think she actually said that 93% of her cases, I guess the most recent cases, uh, she does about one a day. So I guess over the last 30 cases, she says of the 30 cases she's embalmed here over the last month that 28 of them have had these really weird, very serious blood clots, the kind of stuff that she's never seen before. And again, you can see that video. I, I watched that video today, but you can see that video out on Steve Kirsch's Rumble channel. But Kirsch continues here. He says, coincidentally, all of this started happening only after the COVID vaccine rolled. Hmm. I wonder if they are related. If it isn't the vaccine causing these clots, what is? This is serious. This is much more serious than COVID. This makes COVID deaths look insignificant by comparison. For example, in week three of 2020, week three in 2022, there were 54,033 54, deaths and just 11,810 with COVID as the underlying cause of death. So this is killing twice as many people as COVID, but the CDC has never heard of it before. 
I guess what he's doing, he's saying oh, there are 54,000 deaths, there are 11,000 from COVID. So that's just uh, kind of off the top of my head there. That's, that's about one in five. That's about 20% roughly. And yet these embalmers are seeing these people, these very serious blood clots uh, in 40, 50, 60%, even more of their cases. And I mean, when you have blood clots that are as serious as what these people had, I mean, you would have to think that that was, was the cause of death. You know, again, I mean, we don't have the, the death certificates. We haven't formally proven all this out. But I mean, you can kind of look at this and say, you know, wow. I mean, if somebody has, you know, these blood clots such that it's completely cut off circulation in parts of their, their body, you know, their legs and, and other extremities, I mean, you know, how can somebody live like that? Well, yeah, they probably can't. I mean, if they had, and, and so, I mean, that's, I, I guess that's where he's getting the the uh, the rate of the blood clots killing people is twice the rate of co- rate of COVID. If you take uh, the COVID as as one in five uh, or twenty percent, and I guess if you've got say forty or fifty percent of the people having these really serious blood clots, and if you assume that those forty or fifty percent people died because of the blood clots, that'd be twice as many deaths as COVID. So yeah, this is pretty serious. But you you don't hear about this reported in the news anywhere. Says the CDC isn't saying anything. Complete silence. The mainstream press isn't asking any questions either. All these deaths are being swept under the rug. This is a health emergency, and the CDC is AWOL. Well, yeah, I mean, I think he's right. I definitely think he's right about that. Um, it's pretty amazing. All right, so let's go. On. Oh, oh, here's another story that I wanted to cover, and this is from that same uh, post, and this is from Friday the 11th. Uh, It says, California bill will mandate vaccination for all employers. So California's got a state-level bill that will require a two-dose COVID vaccination to work in California. You can request an exemption, but the guidelines for accepting exemptions are set by the state. The requirement stays active until both the Federal Centers of Disease Control and Prevention's Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices determines that COVID-19 vaccinations are no longer necessary for the health and safety of individuals. So the uh, the wonderful people there, the the wonderful rulers of California, want to uh, immiserate their people further with more insane, anti scientific, unchristian, unconstitutional vaccine mandates. It's it's just it's absolutely amazing uh, what's going on here with this. I don't know. I said unconstitutional. I don't know. Maybe it's maybe it's constitutional, but it certainly is 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 immoral. Uh, it certainly is un- is uh, certainly unchristian, and it shouldn't be done. And uh, and these legis- you know and these legislatures are forcing people to take an extremely dangerous and uh, from all from what we can tell, very ineffective vaccine. And they're going to make they're going to uh, they're going to essentially use government force to mandate that people take these dangerous, ineffective. Shots. I won't even call them vaccines. I guess they're, I don't know, shots, inoculations, whatever you want, term you want to use, but they're not vaccines in any traditional sense. And they're going to force them on people. And not only are they dangerous and ineffective for the individuals, but it, it seems like that the, the principle again is the more that a population is vaxxed, the more COVID there is. That's the extraordinary thing about it. You know, let's see here. What do we got? Oh, and that reminded me when I was reading that, you know, how California is going to force these vaccines down people's throats. There's a headline that I saw in Zero Hedge today. And the headline, it was just said, an absolute mad rush. Californians confess why they're fleeing the state. 
And, you know, they were talking there about cost of living and regulations and all this other stuff. Well, I mean, that's certainly, I guess you can add this to it. You know, the, the whole thing with the, uh, uh, the COVID mandates. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's kind of a problem right there too. That'd be another good reason to, uh, to leave California. You know, I almost forgot. I want to go back and, and, and show you something because I thought this was so good. Um, there's a couple of things actually. I was talking about Justin Trudeau that I left out. There was a, a report this afternoon that uh, there's, you, you've probably heard some about these truckers that have, they've actually blocked uh, what they call the Ambassador Bridge. The Ambassador Bridge runs between Windsor, uh, Windsor, Canada and Detroit, Michigan. It's a major, uh, major bridge, big bridge. It covers um, the way that's been reported in the news over 25% of the trade between the United States and Canada goes through that bridge. So it's, a, it's, it's obviously a major important, uh, transportation artery. And the, uh, the Canadian police are there trying to remove the truckers that are protesting. And I guess when the police came, I guess there are a whole group of, uh, of Canadian veterans that showed up and they stood between the, the police and between the truckers. And I thought, wow, that's, uh, that takes a lot of courage. And as far as I know, there wasn't any violence that was, uh, that uh, broke out there, but the, uh, but these Canadian veterans actually stood their ground. And I, I don't think the police got through them. And then there's another tweet that came out, and this is by a guy. I guess apparently he's up at the uh, the Ottawa protest. And I just, I'm going to go ahead and play it. It's a short. It's about 30 seconds long. I just want to want you to hear what you have to say. So here we go. I want everyone to know that I want to first of all thank Justin Trudeau because he tried to separate black people from white people. He tried to separate the masked from the unmasked. He tried to separate the vaccinated from the unvaccinated. And I'm going to tell you what you did, Justin Trudeau. You brought everybody together. This country has never seen so much unity between the United States, Canada, and us. He's, we've never seen anything like this. Right. Thank you, Justin. Right on. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. Yeah. Hallelujah. <laughs> I love that. I love that. You know, he, he talks about how... Justin Trudeau tried to separate people, you know, whether it was black people from white people or vaccinated versus unvaccinated, these kinds of things. And this is what politicians always do. They try to put, they try to divide and conquer. They want to get everybody hating one another. So they can't put up any kind of effective opposition to their tyranny. And then, of course, he closed. He says, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Because, of course, you know, what it's done, in, in, instead of dividing people, it's actually united people, at least from what he's saying. And it sure looks like that's a, there's a lot of truth to what he says there. And, of course, he was quoting as Genesis chapter 50, I don't know the verse number, but but that, that's what, of course, Joseph said to his brothers, right? You know, his brothers, you know, were kind of begging Joseph's forgiveness for selling him into slavery. And he said, you know, don't worry about it. You know, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. You know, that it would be as it is today to save many people. And in this, uh, this fellow, I don't, maybe, I guess he's a trucker. Um, he quoted that. I thought that was, was really great the way he, uh, he just turned that around on Justin Trudeau and said, you know, you've been trying to divide us, but you've united us instead. I thought that was really great to see that. So I wanted to share that with you. Uh, sorry, I, I forgot it passed over that when I was, was getting on to my, uh, my story there about Steve Kirsch. So anyway, let's see what else we got here. It's, yeah, we're at 36 minutes already. Good grief. Um, well, here's something else, and this is very important. This is another really important uh, issue about COVID, and that is that this came from from Alex Berenson, and Steve Kirsch also talked about this. I'll just go ahead and talk, use uh, 
since when you're talking about Steve Kirsch, I'll use, uh, use Alex Berenson here for this one. Um, but there's a headline uh, from an email he sent out on February 9th, so just uh, three days ago. Extremely urgent. The Biden administration says, I'm a terrorist threat. And you read through here and it says, he says, the headline sounds like a joke. It's not. The White House has begun an extraordinary assault on free speech in America. It is no longer content merely to force social media companies to suppress dissenting views. It appears, excuse me, it appears to be setting the stage to use federal police powers. How else to read the National Terrorism Advisory System Bulletin the Department of Homeland Security used on Monday? Its first sentence, summary of the terrorism threat to the United States. The United States remains in a heightened threat environment fueled by several factors, including an online environment filled with false or misleading narratives and conspiracy theories. He read those words right, says Berenson. The government now says misleading narratives are the most dangerous contribution to terrorism against the United States. The bulletin's next sentence. These actors seek to exacerbate societal friction to sow discord and undermine public trust in government institutions to encourage unrest, which could potentially inspire acts of violence. You read those words right, too. A federal agency says that to, quote, undermine public trust in government institutions, end quote, is now considered terrorism. Speech doesn't even have to encourage rebellion or violence generally, much less against anyone specific. It just has to potentially inspire violence. Potentially. Later, the bulletin explains exactly what speech the government now considers a terrorist threat. So this is from the bulletin put out by the National Terrorism Advisory System. Quote, Widespread online proliferation of false or misleading narratives regarding unsubstantiated widespread election fraud and COVID-19. There's that word misleading again. Who's defining misleading? Misleading to whom? Misleading how? So, you know, what you have here is a full frontal assault on the First Amendment by the Biden regime. And, and of course, I guess I, I would say, I, I suppose this podcast would have to be considered uh, terrorism based upon that. Because I have uh, consistently talked about election fraud and I've consistently talked about uh, COVID fraud uh, on the part of the Biden regime, on the part of the Democrats uh, in particular. And so I guess now that's considered uh, now that's considered terrorism. Well, again, you know, the First Amendment, we don't have a First Amendment to the con- to the bill, uh, the Bill of Rights. We don't have a First Amendment to the Constitution. So we can talk about the weather. We have a First Amendment so we can talk about issues of substance, issues that maybe we have some serious disagreement on and do it in a way that you don't have to be threatened with uh, uh being held as a political prisoner, you know, tossed in the clink, what have you. Uh, Throughout most of history, that's been the case. And we've been greatly blessed in the United States of America to not have to have to fear that. Um, But the Biden folks, uh, they're terrified. I mean, that's one of the ways you know that these people are lying to you is the fact that they have to resort to threats, uh, to violence and threats of violence. I mean, that's what they're doing. This is very dangerous. And, and again, you know, as Christians, we need to be in prayer uh, for our country. We need to be in prayer that those people who respect our God-given liberties stand up and and not be afraid of these people. We have to pray that the people who put out bulletins like this change their mind. And if they don't change their mind, then they need to be removed from office. Because this is not the kind of, this is not the government that our Constitution 
supports. Uh, these people are outside the law. And they put themselves outside the law. Uh, let's see here. What else do we have? Oh, um, yeah, one other thing. And this goes back. Uh, sorry, I feel like I'm jumping around all over the place today here. Sorry about that. There was a another one here. Uh, there's a, a famous virologist by the name of Luc Montagnier who died this week. I think I got a story. Yeah, here we go. It's a story. It's in the New York Times. Luc Montagnier, Nobel winning co-discoverer co of HIV, dies at 89. So he was the the fellow that discovered the the cause of, of HIV. Of course, HIV is, is something that's commonly known as AIDS, autoimmune deficiency syndrome. That was a big issue back in the, the 1980s. And there were a lot of people that died of that. There wasn't any cure for it. But he was the one who discovered the 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 root cause of of that particular disease. He was a virologist. And again, he was a co-winner of the Nobel Prize. So this is somebody who's very highly uh, ranked as a scientist, very highly considered as a scientist. Oh, looks like I lost part of my live stream, uh, live stream here. So I don't know if you can see me or not on this, but if not, I'm just going to go ahead and keep recording and we'll just do the podcast. So anyway, uh, let's see what do we got here. Yes, Luc Montagnier, a French virologist who shared a Nobel Prize in 2008 for discovering the virus that caused AIDS, died on, died on Tuesday in the Paris suburb. And I'm not going to try to pronounce that. Newly sur Seine. He was, was 89. And what's interesting is you go down through here. This is from the New York Times. And when you scroll down through here, though, it talks about him, some of his more recent work. And more recently, he's become very controversial among all the, the great and good and wise and the doyens of society uh, by coming out and opposing the max, mass, mass vaccination campaigns. So he was opposed to, to these, uh, these um, you know, vaccine mandates. Let's see if we can get down here. Oh. Okay, here here we go. Last May, he's referring to Montagnier. Last May, he added fuel uh, to spread the false information. To the He added fuel to the spread of false information about COVID-19 vaccines by claiming in the French video that vaccine programs were an unacceptable mistake because he said vaccines could cause viral variants. Now, okay, show me who at the New York Times, is this, does this obituary writer here at the New York Times have anywhere near the scientific credentials of Luc Montagnier? I don't think so. Now, I'm not saying I, I don't want to be somebody that gets uh, falls to the fallacy of credentialism and say, well, you can't question anybody's work. But the, the way the, new, the, the con game that the New York Times and these other uh, MSM outlets do is they, they try to make everybody who opposes vaccines or vaccine mandates in any way, anyone who questions the, the narrative, the establishment narrative, well, they're just you know spreaders of misinformation. They're quacks, they're fools, they're stupid. Well, Luc Montagnier was not a quack. And he wasn't a stupid man. He won a Nobel Prize in, he was a virologist. I, I don't know what the exact prize was for, but it was something in the, the area of virology. And there are many other top-notch scientists very respected scientists who've done great work, who have uh, called into question the vaccine mandates, the lockdowns, the mask mandates, all of this stuff. These are not stupid or incompetent people. And I, I resent this kind of, just, just this arrogant tone that comes out of the New York Times and any other mainstream publication. 
And then, of course, after this, then they go on and they, they quote one of his, I guess, professional rivals or colleagues or something like this, and, and basically bad-mouthing the guy. You know, so the New York Times just has to, has to get that final whack in uh, on, on this, this man's, uh, on this man's uh, uh, obituary. I mean, it's really sad. It's just pathetic. And I mean, the New York Times, I, I really feel guilty. I mean, I actually subscribe to the, the digital version of this newspaper. And the only reason I do it is to do opposition research for you. So see, I read the New York Times so you don't have to. It's my service to you. <laughs> anyway, um, but yeah, it's, it's very frustrating to, uh, to, uh, to read some of this stuff. Anyway, so that's, uh, that's Luke Montagnier. Let's see what else we have here today. Oh, okay. Yeah, I wanted to talk some about rising consumer prices. So here's a headline, and unfortunately, it doesn't look like it's showing through on the the video at all, for whatever reason. I guess I still haven't been able to get my get my video back. Well, we'll just do what we can here. So anyway, this is a headline from CNBC. It says, inflation surges 7.5% on an annual basis, even more than expected and the highest since 1982. Now, a few things about this. This was a, a report that came out. Thursday. Yeah, Thursday, February the 10th. Every every month, they, the Bureau BLS, the Bureau of Labor Statistics, I think it's the BLS, Bureau of Labor Statistics releases the monthly CPI number. Now, CPI, that's short for Consumer Price Index, okay? And it's an index uh, measures, in, well, at least according to this article, it measures inflation. That's actually not true. I and mean, that's one of the things I wanted to talk about, first of all, is that what it, it's reporting here is that prices, prices went up 7.5% on an annual basis for the month between, I guess, month the, uh, the month of, uh, of January. So the consumer price index for all items rose 0.6% in January, driving up an annual inflation by 7.5%. So you multiply you know, 0.6 by, by 12, and, and I guess you get something close to, uh, to 7.5%. So that's a, a remarkable pop. Yeah, that, that's a, a remarkable rate. You know, that was, I guess, what happened in January. So, you know, consumer prices went up six-tenths of 1% in January. And if you, you annualize that, that, that works out to about 7.5%. Now, what's being reported here by the consumer price index is not inflation. It is the result of inflation. Now, I know that we've been conditioned by the mainstream press to always think of inflation as... Um, as uh, as uh, rising prices, but that's not what inflation is. Inflation is actually money printing. When central banks and then the central bank of the United States of America is the Federal Reserve, when they print too much money, what that does, one of the things that does, is it causes prices to go up. So what they should be reporting is that prices rose at a rate annual rate of seven point five percent, and that price rise is a result of the activities of the Federal Reserve. That's what that, that that's how that, that headline should be read, should 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 read, or it should say something like that. But when you read about when you read these headlines, they always call rising prices inflation. Rising prices are not inflation. Rising prices are the result of inflating the money supply, and that's always done by the central bank. You know, the, the Federal Reserve inflates the money supply, and what that does is it destroys the purchasing power of the dollars you already have. And the dollar 
It's since the creation of the Federal Reserve, the dollar's lost, I think, 98, 99% of its value, something like that. And that's not an accident. I mean, the Federal Reserve, the, the central bank of the United States, the Federal Reserve, is designed to destroy the value of the dollar. And what that does is it transfers purchasing power without getting too technical about all of this. Basically, what it does is it steals purchasing power from the lower middle income people. And it funnels it up to the very top of society, up to the, you know, the, the 0.01%, you know, the, the Wall Street millionaires and billionaires. You know, those people benefit tremendously from the, the inflation fraud. And it's theft. I mean, is what that is. I mean, the, when the central bank inflates the monetary supply, that is theft. That's, it's, it's a violation of the Eighth Commandment. They're stealing. Uh, they're stealing your wealth. They're stealing my wealth. But of course, that's another racket, and you're not supposed to know the truth. It's kind of it's a lot like COVID. Yeah, I mean, you're constantly lied to about everything when it comes to COVID, and you're constantly lied to about everything when it comes to the economy, uh, including the uh, you know in, including inflation, which they don't even define properly. So yeah, that's uh, that's another hoax. And and in fact, the one of the things that's interesting the the measure that's commonly used is put out by the government. It's called the CPI again. It's called the Consumer Price Index. But the Consumer Price Index is deliberately designed to understate how much and how quickly prices are going up. Now, here's a tweet by a guy. He's a, a uh, financial analyst I follow. His name's Tavi Costa. He's on, uh, on Twitter. He usually does some pretty interesting work. And he had a, a tweet that he put out Thursday in response to all of this. And he says, let's put this CPI number in perspective. Here are some price changes since January 2021. So he's looking back a year. In that time between January 2021 and January of 2022, natural gas went up by 81%. Oil went up by 66%. Agriculture commodities were up 24%. Rent was up 13%. Used car prices were up 44%. Gasoline up 36%. Cattle prices up 20%. Lumber up 15%. Coffee up a whopping 92%. Good grief. Can't even afford to have a cup of joe anymore. And hotel prices are up 37%. But then the CPI comes and says, oh, well, you know, um, price, you know the, the, the prices are going up at an annual rate of 7.5%. So, I mean, how do you get from all these huge double-digit inflation numbers to a CPI of 7.5%? Well, you don't. And, and that is one of the ways that you can know that the CPI is another hoax. You know, you remember when... When you would read about all these uh, these COVID deaths, and then you'd find out that oh, well, the people didn't really die of COVID; they died with COVID. You know, they were people that you know had heart disease and cancer and all this other stuff, and then maybe they got COVID and they died. But you know, it, it wasn't as though they were just these you know people in the peak of health who were just all of a sudden struck down by COVID. You know, there was a lot of statistical lying that was going on to try to make COVID seem much, much, much more deadly than what it actually was. And of course, the vaccines, they lie about that to make sure that, well, that the, the effectiveness of the vaccines is much better than what it is, and the risks that are, that are presented by the vaccines are much less than what they actually are. You know, you've got these people dying of these horrific blood clots out there, and the mainstream press isn't even saying anything. The CDC isn't saying anything about this stuff. And it's the same kind of thing with economics. I mean, you've got these just huge jumps in in uh, prices over the past year. But, oh, you know, I mean, okay, yeah, you know, 7.5% is bad, but it's not like, I mean, what happens if if they came out and they said, well, the the uh, CPI is uh, shows a, a 25% in, uh, 
uh, 25% uh, inflation, price inflation, rising prices. If What if it said prices are going up by 25% this year? I mean, people would freak out about that. But 7.5%, oh, they can kind of finesse that. And, yeah, yeah, maybe we can live with that. I don't know. But if it was 25 or 30% or 40% or 50%, oh, my goodness. You know, you'd start having riots in the streets. And, and I think that's one of the reasons why they suppress the, uh, uh, the inflation numbers that they put out. Inflation, put that in quotation marks. That's one of the reasons why they, they understate those, because they know they don't want to get the heat for what, uh, what's actually going on. They try to lie to you. They lie to you with statistics. There's an awful lot of that that goes on. Uh, a lot of false witness bearing. A lot of theft, a lot of false witness bearing. That seems to be the, uh, uh, I guess, really the mark of our civilization right now. Oh, and then there's another thing, too. Since we're on the subject of the Fed, uh, one of my favorite financial analysts, Dave Kranzler, he... He put out a a, tw- a uh, it was actually an article he wrote this week, and he was talking about this scandal that's been going on in the Federal Reserve here for the last several months. And what what's been happening is that these these Federal Reserve presidents, these high and mighty people that set economic policy for all the rest of us, they uh, they've been cheating uh, in the stock market, and what they've been doing is they have uh, in well. Basically, they, they've been skirting regulations and they've been profiting from their own uh, policy uh, policy prescriptions. Now, there's something about that. There's, uh, in some case, that, that's called insider trading, for one. Now, you, may be, you remember Martha Stewart? Remember, uh, you may remember Martha Stewart from a few years ago, how she went to jail for insider trading? Well, I can tell you what insider trading is. Because I hold a securities license, and I have for a number of years, and I have to get annual training for this kind of thing. And what, when, whenever they talk in, in your securities license training about insider training, they are very, very serious. It's basically, do not do this. And if you do commit insider trading, you're going to go to jail for a long time, and you're going to get hit with ruinous fines. So what is insider trading, you might ask? Well, insider trading is where someone takes advantage of what is called material non-public information. So let's break that down. So material information is information can, that can affect the price of a stock. You know, like for instance, say a you know, company A goes out and they, they sign some big contract to produce widgets, you know, for, for another company. You know, it's a multi-billion dollar deal. And when it's announced, it's going to drive up the stock price of of company A by 20% or something like that. So that's material information. And the non-public part is that it's not been released to the public generally. You know, it's, it's something that's under wraps. But let's say, suppose, maybe I find out about that. And before it's announced publicly, you know, before the company makes its big public announcement, but I know that it's coming. So I go out and I take all my money and I put it into the stock of company A and you know, when the company comes out and says, oh, we signed this big contract to produce widgets for company B, you know, all of a sudden, you know, it's, it's in all the news, you know, they're on CNBC and, and they're interviewing the CEO and the stock pops, you know, 25, 30, 50%, something like that. You know, and then I get fabulously rich because I, I knew about this in advance when nobody else did. That's what insider trading is. And that's basically what these guys on the Fed were doing. You know, they, they were... They were they they set policy. They said interest rate policy, 
for example, that they know is going to affect the uh, the price of stock market of the stock market. Now, it's going to help some types of of uh, investments. It might hurt other types of investments, and they know the effects that this is going to have. They know the effects that this announcement is going to have. So, what they do is they go out and they they trade in advance before the the announcement is actually made of what the Fed's going to do, and then they get fabulously rich off of it. And there are there are regulations against them doing that. Um, but they do it anyway, but they did it anyway. Now, again, as I said, if, if you or I were to do that, we would go to jail for a long time and you would be paying fines such that, that are so high, you'd be paying for the rest of your life. You'd be financially ruined. But these guys, what did they do? They basically just got to resign their job. And now it comes out that the chairman of the Federal Reserve, Jay Powell, the number, the numero uno guy, one of, one of the financial uh, guys they follow, he calls him Chief Goon Powell. He always talks about the Fed goons. That's when he, when he talks about Fed goons, he means these presidents of the uh, the regional Federal Reserve banks. And uh, and he calls uh, he calls Jay Powell. He calls him Chief Goon Powell because he's he's the head goon. He's the the head of the whole the head of the whole monster. And uh, so anyway, yeah. So it, it finally came out that uh, that um, Jay Powell has been doing this kind of thing too. I mean, and, and again, this is just. So typical of the kind of lies and fraud that are just everywhere in our society today. I mean, this is what happens when you take Christ out of society. When you turn your back on God, this is the kind of stuff that happens. And it happens more and more and more. This is how corrupt this country has become. And here's a headline from a, this is another Substack account. The headline, it reads, Fed scandal bigger than Watergate, or question mark, bigger than Watergate? Well, maybe it is. It says, Jay Powell traded during restricted blackout period, failed to disclose most trade dates, apparently lied about the municipal muni, that's, I think it's municipal bonds, that's, muni is just short for that. The muni conflict uh, directed massive Wall Street bailouts despite conflicts. And let's see, I'll just read a little bit of this here. It says, Fed Chair Powell, who's supposed to serve in the public interest and avoid even the appearance of conflicts, traded millions in personal stocks and bonds while obstructing required public disclosures about those trades for years. Yet the information that has slipped out is damning. It shows Powell made trades during the restricted blackout period for pivotal Fed Open Market Committee meetings. This is a shocking revelation and constitutes grave and inexcusable misconduct by a high-ranking U.S. government official. So, you know, I was talking about um, insider trading. Well, one of the ways they keep that from happening is they have these blackout periods during which the... uh, you know, Jay Powell and the other uh, Fed presidents are not allowed to trade because I, I, you know, that blackout period is around the time when they're making decisions that are going to affect the stock market. So they say, okay, you're going to be making decisions that can't, they're going to affect the stock market. You're not allowed to trade stocks until after these, these announcements have come out. So you can't take advantage of your, your privileged position of being on the inside. Well, that's exactly what he and all these other guys were doing. There were like four members of the Fed um, that had to resign, four high-ranking members of the Fed had to resign because of this, because they were trading on material non-public information. As I said, you and I, we go to jail forever. Uh, but these guys just get off with a slap of the wrist, and they, they get to go out and enjoy their ill-gotten gains. I mean, if you or I did that, we would have to disgorge any gains we had, and we'd also have to pay tax on those gains. But these guys, they they get to keep their... They're illegal winnings, and they got to go sail off into the sunset. I mean, this stuff is just absolutely outrageous. And again, it's not talked about in the mainstream. I mean, it's known, 
but you're not going to read about this in the mainstream. This is not something that the our overlords in the news media consider important. Okay, moving on. I just had a few brief items here at the end. I wanted to just go over. I know we're getting... Yeah, we're going to be over an hour here. I want to go through these things, but this stuff is important enough. I think it's worth taking a little bit of time on. Uh, Here's a headline. This is from Fox News. It says, Texas um, Representative Gooden presses Catholic charities and other NGOs about the role in border crisis. Whoa. That that's that that wow just you picked me up off before I had uh, my mom actually sent this article to me this week I was just stunned I couldn't believe it I'd never seen a headline like this before um, now NGOs just to let you know that's short for non governmental organization basically charity is is what that means and if you when you read through this article here it says Texas Representative Lance Good and a Republican called on several non governmental organizations to answer his questions about the role in President Biden's southern border crisis. Now, this is one of the things that I've said for a long time, is that Catholic charities, and it's not just Catholic charities, but they're the biggest offender in this, are doing everything they can to subvert American immigration law, to subvert the United States of America through through just this mass migration madness, uh, taxpayer-funded mass migration madness. And here's somebody, a member of Congress, actually is is going after these people. Uh, he should be applauded for this. This is heroic stuff. I I hope that he can can make some headway here. And he wrote a letter to these these various charities. And I want to just get you know, let's see. He talked about Catholic charities. Okay, here we go. It says the Texas congressman wrote that regardless of the charity's motivations behind aiding and abetting aliens, this does not grant them the right to violate federal law and regulation. Very true. Quote, it is irresponsible for Catholic charities to fuel illegal immigration by encouraging, transporting, and harboring aliens to come to, enter, or reside in the United States. He continued in the letter to Catholic Charities USA. The Texas Republicans have been outspoken on the roles NGOs have played in the, uh, have been playing in the southern border crisis and said in November that he uncovered a secret operation bringing the migrants into the U.S. with packets on how to assimilate. Well, I know that the uh, the Mexican government actually passed out like packets in years past, so I don't know if this is the the same flyer from the Mexican government or if the you know, the Catholic Charities is is helping helping out with this. They very well may. Uh, in addition to Catholic Charities, it said he also sent letters to a few other organizations. One is the Lutheran Immigrant Immigration and Refugee Service and Jewish Family Services. So you got the Lutherans uh, and the Jews doing this stuff too, along with the Roman Catholics. Uh, I mean, this is really bad stuff. Um, it, it it really is. It is subversive stuff. And, and these people need to be be held to account uh, for what they are doing. And it's interesting, too. I, I think somewhere I thought I thought he did in here. Let me see if I can find it. I thought he singled out Catholic Charities of the Rio Grande Valley. Let's see if I can find that. Oh, yeah. Here it goes. Yeah. In July 2021, reports revealed Catholic Charities USA's Rio Grande Valley affiliate had paid for hotel rooms for possibly COVID-positive illegal immigrants released to them from federal custody. So, yeah, they were they were doing this, and I think it was pretty well established that that was actually going on. And I remember when they, they pressed the executive director of Catholic Charities of the Rio Grande Valley, this nun by the name of Norma Pimentel. I, I believe she herself is Mexican. And they ask her, well, you know, how many uh, COVID-positive migrants are you putting up in these hotels? And her response was, I've been advised not to answer. So I mean, that's the kind of people you're dealing with um, in, in, uh, in Catholic Charities. That is a subversive organization. 
and it, it needs to be exposed. And I'm glad somebody is finally doing it. So good for Representative Gooden. Keep up the good work. Um, oh, here's another thing. Let's see. I guess another short item I wanted to mention here. Oh, yeah. Yeah. If I was, I was going to talk about. Yeah, there was a, uh, and, and this kind of continues on the, the theme of, of immigration and migration and whatnot. But there was a, an article that came out. This is from uh, Las Cruces Sun News from Mexico. It says, pilot program will provide $500 a month for some undocumented immigrants in New Mexico. Well, undocumented immigrants, that's just a euphemism for illegal aliens. It's people who violated American immigration law. And now they're going to give them $500 a month. So, you know, again, you, you, you come to the United States, you violate our immigration laws, and you win fabulous cash and prizes. I guess that's not as much as what Biden wanted to give him. He wanted to give him $450,000 apiece. But uh, they've got this, uh, this pilot program in, in New Mexico. And then it turns out that that pilot program is being paid for, I guess, in part by the Kellogg Foundation. Kellogg Foundation bankrolls $500 monthly income for illegal aliens. This is by John Binder with, uh, with uh, Breitbart. And he says this, the left-wing W.K. Kellogg Foundation, which effectively controls the Kellogg Company, is bankrolling a pilot program that will provide hundreds of illegal aliens living in the United States with a guaranteed basic income. A coalition of activist organizations has teamed up to institute the pilot program across 13 counties in New Mexico, where 330 illegal alien households receive monthly payments of $500 for the next year. The W.K. Kellogg Foundation is bankrolling the program. And you can read through this thing. Um, this is one of the things that's very interesting. These these tax-exempt foundations, and I haven't paid nearly as much attention to these things as I should, uh, and I've, I've been uh, been alerted to some of it, been sensitized to some of it, but even by some of the work that, uh, that Chris Pinto has done. I don't know if you ever listened to his podcast. It's called A Noise of Thunder Radio. He's got some interesting stuff on there, and he has talked on a number of occasions about the dangers of these big... Uh, corporate foundations, and they've all been taken over by left wingers. And you know what he says is that none of them should be tax exempt. He says the only uh, organizations that should be tax exempt, in in his view, are are the churches because those are the the organizations that really are responsible for creating the United States. It was Christians out of Christian churches who is who gave us our liberties, who gave us our constitution. You know, and these these big corporate. Uh, foundations with these vast sums of money use that money to undermine the United States of America. They use it to undermine our republic, to undermine our constitution, to undermine our liberties. I mean, it, the in fact, this Kellogg Foundation, I mean, by, give, by giving this money to these people, essentially what they're doing is they're attempting to erase the distinction between Americans uh, and foreigners. In other words, they're trying to erase America. And this is a very evil thing that they're doing. And, oh, and I can't forget this. Let's see. Here we go. Oh, here she is. Yes, Hillary Clinton. This is also from Breitbart News. This is from today. Uh, report. Hillary to re-enter political sphere at New York Democrat Convention. I think there's a very high probability that she is going to run or certainly is going to try to run. I think there's no question that she wants to run uh, for president in 2024. And I've talked about this before. I know there was even an article, there was an op-ed written, I think it was in the New York Times, that said, well, she, she's the best candidate of, uh, of all the Democrats. Um, and I guess of the Democrats that, that you would think of with national status, uh, that may actually be true. But then that really says more about the Democrats than it does about uh, the quality uh, of her as a presidential candidate. 
now, of course, as a Christian, and I have to mention this again, because I, I think not to do, I would be remiss to do that. As Christians, of course, we don't support a woman for president or, or any other type of political office, I would add to that. You know, I, I don't think that that's appropriate. I think John Knox talked about that. I think he showed that uh, very clearly uh, in, in his writings. And I know that's probably something that's very offensive to say to a lot of people, but it's not enough just to talk about her policies, her bad policies, her obvious crookedness. You know, Donald Trump called her crooked Hillary. Well, Donald Trump was right about that. She is crooked. But as, as true as those things are, it's not enough just to talk about those. As Christians, you know, we have to make sure that the cure goes as least as deep as the disease. I know John Robbins talked about that in, in one of his uh I don't know, lectures or one of his essays. I think maybe he's even quoting somebody. But the cure has to go at least as deep as as the disease. And I can't ignore that. I would be remiss if I did ignore that. So that's why I mention it. But yeah, I think there's a good chance we're going to get Hillary again uh, on the Democratic side. Would not surprise me at all. I mean, I don't know that that's going to happen, but I, I she definitely wants to to have another shot at it. And let's see, what else do we have here? Oh, yeah. Um, then one last thing we have... News from uh, our uh, current occupant of the office of Antichrist, Pope Francis, and he condemns inequalities caused by economic liberalism. And when he says economic liberalism, what he means is free markets. He means limited government free markets. That's, that's what he means by liberalism. And he says, Pope Francis announced the pathologies of individualism and indifference Thursday in his message for the World Day of the Sick. So this is one thing that's very clear about Rome. And um, this particular pope has been super clear about it, and it is he hates individualism. He doesn't like individualism. He's a collectivist. And, and what he would rather do is he would rather have everybody be equally poor and miserable than people to be free and, and individually wealthy. Uh, and rich. So, you know, he would rather be everybody be equal in their misery than, than unequal in their wealth. Uh, that's the Pope. And of course, that's the way all these collectivists are. They want everybody to be equally miserable. Uh, of course, accepting themselves because they certainly don't accept, expect themselves to be poor or to be miserable or things like this. They just, they mean you and me. So, I mean, again, it's just, you know, it's just more of the same. Um, that's exactly what we would come to expect from Antichrist. That's just how the guy rolls. That's just who he is. So, anyway. That's enough of that stuff. I, I hope that was interesting to you here today and, and uh, informative. And, you know, again, I bring this stuff and I feel like sometimes I just bring all this negative stuff, you know, and um, I don't want to be that way, but I, I want you to be informed. Yeah, I don't want you to be afraid. I want you to be informed. You know, there's somebody I once heard one time, uh, she was quoting her uh, pastor and she says, if we, face, if we can face it, we can fix it. And I think there's a lot of truth in that. Uh, I, I think there really is, because the thing is, we're not facing it in our own strength. You know, if we had to try to go up and deal with all this stuff on our own, you, you and I, we wouldn't have a chance against this. But we have the right man on our side. And I was thinking here once again today about, you know, what Paul wrote to the Ephesians. And he said, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now, notice that the wiles of the devil. You know, the devil, he, he does, he's not a, not a straight shooter. You know, he, the devil's out there, and, and he is a, a very tricky fellow. And he's always constantly trying to lie to us, to, to scheme, to appear as a, an angel of light, to you know, call darkness light or light darkness or good evil and evil good. He's always trying to invert things, turn things upside down. Um, do we see any of that in our own day? Yeah, 
um, pretty much all the time. All that stuff that I just went through, you know, all represents different types of, of uh, ultimately satanic activity. And, and Paul continues here, and just this just, I think, really pins it down. He says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rules of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So, I mean, ultimately, our enemy, you know, it's not people like Justin Trudeau or Joe Biden or Hillary Clinton or the Pope or any of these other people. Uh, they are tools but standing behind those is, is, is these these uh, these principalities and powers against these spiritual hosts of wickedness. Now it's the devil ultimately is behind all of this stuff. This is spiritual warfare, folks. This is what it looks like. So be informed, know what the truth is, trust in Christ. That's how we beat this stuff. Speak the truth, each man to his neighbor. We have to stand up. We have to reprove. You know, have no have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them, uh, or or expose them. You could even translate it that way, or expose them. And that's one of the things I try to do with this podcast. That's one of the things I want to do for you every week. And I hope I was able to do some of that here today. Uh, thanks so much for listening. It was great to have you here. I really look forward to doing this again uh, next week. And until then, may the Spirit of Truth guide you in all truth as you read and study God's Word. <laughs>